0: welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a crack rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex Gruskin. on today's show we continue our college contender series breaking down our top 10 men's and women's college teams entering the 2022 season crazy to think We've reached team number five in our preseason list, five up or five down, I should say five still to go, plenty of fun college tennis for us to discuss. But of course, we don't only talk about the teams here on these podcasts. We want to talk about the biggest stories going on in the college tennis world as well and joining me on today's podcast, as he always does to do just that, is a returning champion here. On our Crack Racket shows, of course, you probably know him best as a writer on our website, CrackRackets.com, author of the No At No Problem blog, at tennis on Twitter, and, of course, my friend, the biggest listener, most frequent listener of the Cracked Interviews podcast series, John Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today?
1: i'm good that would be second to mrs gruskin though <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know she told me she's been slacking i was like have you heard the college contender series and she's like what she's like what power five series what are you talking about and i was like you haven't seen the 15 pods she's like alex you know i was on call this week i was like all right all right i get." I was it. gonna
1: say just wait until she finds out that there's like five dropping every other day <laughs> yeah. and she's gonna lose it <laughs> yeah. um
0: but all is well with you you're doing well another day in paradise
1: all as well K- trying to keep up with all of those pods um trying to make space you know it's hard with the without a commute you know working from home and mm-hmm. so you know you got to make some space sometimes you guys are really churning those out
0: yeah trying to build in multiple grocery trip you know s- trips for everyone it's just an excuse to go out <laughs> once more but with that in mind i'm going to do some shameless plugging here at the start of today's podcast since it's been brought up obviously if you aren't already go check out our Cracked interviews podcast we are currently in the midst of trying to speak with every power five men's and women's tennis head coach from across the nation now i do want to quickly address we have gotten some feedback? Why aren't you talking to the mid-majors? Why aren't you talking to the non-already glamorized college coaches out there? To that, I would say this. A, there is only one of me there's only one Daniel Westoff. We ask for just a bit more patience. We're trying to get around the mountain. And with that, I get to point number B. We're getting all the boring interviews out of the way. Guess what's going to be free from January to May? All of the other open slots. We'll try to hit as many other coaches from as many other programs as we can uh, from throughout the nation. But, of course, the reason we are doing this series is, look, I think college tennis, like all college sports right now, it's a period of change. And obviously, covid Heightened all of those changes or emphasized, you know, put a put an emphasis on all of these different trends we see emerging and, you know, in particular, we've seen the growth of the transfer portal. I say it in every correct interviews episode we do. It's been destigmatized now. It's not just tennis. Every sport transferring has just become a more active part of the sport than it was before. And so it's fascinating to hear from these coaches. How do they balance that in their recruiting? And, you know, how do they balance their four and a half scholarships? Of course, there are some other big items, right? Right now, going around college tennis, when should the NCAA individual tournament be? What should the role of the fall be? Of course, all these Power 5 schools are also interesting from a tennis perspective as well. We try to hit on all of that with all of these coaches. I am so fortunate that so many of them, every time to a TSA, you know, I'm trying to go 30 to 40 minutes, realistically, we'll hit the hour mark if I do my job well, and that's what we've been able to do, and it's a testament to all the coaches, all the SIDs for setting this up. I'm immensely grateful, but we think this is... The best way to help prepare all of you college tennis fans for what should be another exciting 2022 college tennis season. With all of that said, Jay, I I teased it at the top, our most frequent listener to the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm sorry, Mom. You've been passed in that number one spot. You can work your way back, though. Don't worry. But with all of that said, your response to the first, I think now, 15 episodes we've released, plus or
1: minus a few yeah well i mean good that you're getting feedback right good to get feedback from from the community um but i I mean look historically you've only chatted with the top 10 teams right or kind of the top 16 teams and so expanding beyond that it has been noticeable to me certainly to talk with some programs who are on the bubble of making the ncaa tournament or not making the ncaa tournament so that's been eye-opening for me and i think that's been you know been greatly appreciated you start to see that get fleshed out when you start asking about the eight hour rule the 25 days um 500 rule um so a lot of that is interesting i think it's a great point to bring up um you know other other divisions um i will also say i've had people ask like um where should i tune in like you know what's the best um how should i be listening to these right other than maybe the one school that i'm interested in um You know, I would say if you dive in anywhere in the back half, you're going to get some of those questions around the format and rule changes. Um, And it seems like you tend to kind of um, preload kind of the the team stuff. So um, overall, I think they've been great. I think um, the breadth of coaches and the quality of coaches that we are fortunate to have in college tennis is very apparent from these conversations. Um, It's fun to get their thoughts on the format and rule changes. I think a lot of them are obviously biased from the coaching perspective. Um, I think there's definitely some, some elements of of a fan perspective that maybe isn't considered. Um, But overall, I mean, great to hear these voices, these stories that we've never really heard before. Um, You know, it, Teams start to make more sense. I'll say that, right? You start to see who the head coaches are. There have been a few now where you've incorporated both the head coach and kind of the associate or the assistant. Um, That's been a really fun dynamic. You can start to see kind of like what role each plays uh, in terms of, you know, the responsibilities and kind of how they view dividing and conquering the program. So overall, I think it's probably other than just like covering college tennis in terms of like a series, this has probably been my favorite so far.
0: It's very kind of you to say the passion from these coaches, the intelligence yep. of these coaches, the care these coaches have for each and every aspect of the sport, it shines through in this series. And that's why we wanted to do it. And obviously, I'm in a position where it helps to serve up some butter and lather up all of these coaches. But sincerely... Sure. The quality of college tennis coaching, in my opinion, has never been better. And, of course, I look forward to exploring the various levels. Coaches, you know, Power 5 coaches were once mid-major coaches. Power 5 associate head coaches, assistant head coaches worked their way up the rankings. I want to explore those stories as well. But, yeah, we're starting at the top, working our way through. And you're right. It's been so interesting. And, yes, I do. I do try to front load on the tennis because I want to get them engaged. I want to talk about a comfortable subject before we get into some of the abstract. And, you know, every so often I'll throw in a doubles record and they'll be like, how did you know that? And part of the time I want to say, you know, the stats are available publicly. I'm I'm really not that smart. Um, Some schools
1: better than others.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, you know, yes. Let me just say yes, yes, yes. If I could get them all on the Georgia system, I would because not to just – offer up easy praise there are other schools who are excellent as well but georgia if you click on the stats tab on their website you get every year pdf one by one 2021 22 all the way through to their first year in program history and you're just like thank you um and i'm just saying if we're looking Schools, recommendations, call Manny, call Jeff. They'll give you the provider. Um, All that said, I appreciate you listening. And, yes, as we go through the series, perhaps when we're done, I will ask you for the top five. Now, that's the plug. All the interviews available, crackedrackets.com, available on the Cracked Interviews podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. With that said, one other opening topic. Before we get to number five, Virginia, and that, of course, is since we last spoke, although I will say it's going to be a bit offset because, quite frankly, you're just more diligent of a worker than Chris and Matt are at this point. So, like, we're – I think we're recording number six this week. You and I are recording number five. That's a little sneak peek into the recording schedule here at Crack Rackets. Usually you have to be a Patreon member for that sort of content. But (laughs) that's all to say uh, Chris and Matt and I discuss it on our number seven Stanford episode. We're discussing it here with number 5 Virginia. Since we last spoke, the ITA rankings have been released. And obviously those are the last rankings we'll see uh, before the start of the new year. Supposed to be a reflection of all of the fall results, various other formulas, uh, quantified and quantified into that formula to give us our final rankings of the year. I'm not even going to load it. I'm not going to give a statement. I'm just going to ask Jay your response to these rankings.
1: Uh, well, my entire reaction thread can be found at J-tweets tennis. Um, so that's a plug there. Um, you know, I forgot they were coming out, <laughs> so they came out last week. I was like, oh, great. Um, I mean, what was very interesting is both on the men's and women's side, only one person, one player from the preseason top 10 mm-hmm. stayed in the top 10, right? So that was Monday of Tennessee on the men's side, and Irina Contos of Ohio State on the women's side. Um, so I think I described it as like a very volatile top ten. We'll say um, that was kind of the, the first thing that that struck me. Um, a few other things that that struck me were um, the UNC women having four players in the top twenty-five, of which Crawley is fourth. Uh, of those, um, of those four, uh, so that was a, that was a little surprise. I think Cam Moore at five was the one player that you probably said, hmm. That feels a little high to me, um, but she obviously did get the win over Sarah Hamner uh, to kind of buoy her ranking. Um, but overall, I would say that the the top of the rankings feel like a solid reflection of who had the best fall. I mean, certainly look at the women's rankings. You know, those four players are the four players of the fall, right? You have Cayetano, Hamner, uh, Noel, and um, Daria Freeman. So, you know, overall, I thought they reflected kind of what we saw in the fall um a few other fun notes for you um seven freshmen uh on the women's side in the top 26 i believe um which kind of speaks to that point we were talking about earlier of just the impact the freshmen have made on the women's side juxtaposed to the men where the number the highest ranked freshman is louis max of tcu at 33. Mm-hmm. So really big gaps between the freshman performance um, between men and women. Um, and then the last thing is I was looking at kind of how this would compare if we were using UTR, because I think one of the, the noticeable, you know, absences here is kind of all of the preseason top 10, both on the men and women who didn't who either played very minimally or didn't play at all in the fall. And I, I tweeted out this poll of should we be incorporating UTR into the ITA ranking? It was an overwhelming yes. Um, only three men and three women would be in both the IT are in the ITA top ten and the uh, UTR top ten, so a pretty big uh, delta between those two as well. So something for food for thought as we kind of think about um, how to reimagine what these rankings look like.
0: Five Pepperdine women in the top forty, Jay. Five Pepperdine that's North Carolina good. This feels and again, I think the difference is. Because going into that 2020 season, it was Carolina coronation year. And, like, when they had five top 40 players in Davitella, Graham, Scotty Mora, Jones, it just felt so real. Like, you just felt like, yeah, honest to God, those might be— you know, five of the top 40 players in the country. And obviously, you look at these rankings now, you know, Peyton Stearns and Charlotte Shavatapan, not exactly ideally reflected right now in these rankings, not going to be where they'll be at the end of the season. And certainly, you know, some of the younger Carolina players, some of the younger Stanford players, Michaela Gordon will work her way back up. I think there are teams who can also push into this range as well. But Man, like Savannah Brodus is a little high just given the lack, I suppose, of play we've seen from her compared to some, you know, like Abby Forbes at 68 versus Savannah Brodus all the way up at 36. That doesn't feel quite right. But that said, like that speaks to the talent on this Pepperdine roster, Jay. That was one of the first things that jumped out to me.
1: And that's not even including Janice Chen.
0: Exactly, who's a little bit further. Right. I think she's like There's, in the '90s. She's yeah, like, and she first...
1: didn't play. She only kind of played the All Americans. So yeah, it's just that's that's incredible. But that was another thing I took away as well, which is just the consolidation of sure. the the teams. Right? We've talked about kind of the teams of the fall. Pepperdine clearly being one of them. North Carolina, uh, South uh, Southern yeah. California. Mm-hmm. You know, fifteen of the top twenty-five teams come from six schools um you know and so Pepperdine being one of those schools um UNC obviously leading the way NC State shout out to NC State um three in the top 25 so there are very clearly and we've talked about some of those teams some of those teams will still to come in our top 10 but very clearly stacked teams uh this year
0: The depth is incredible just throughout college tennis. And again, to your point, we talked about it with Matt and Chris. I want to give you a chance to expand upon this idea as well, the idea of incorporating UTRs into these fall rankings and perhaps the idea of incorporating UTRs into rankings throughout the course of the college tennis season. And the question at that point is, is UTR the best metric? Do you factor in a pro ranking? What other metrics should be incorporated Or should a college ranking be based purely on college tennis results? Where are you in that argument? Because I think when you frame this – sorry to heighten the question here. But I think when you frame that second fact like that, it actually – it resonates better of why is there an ITA ranking. Because look – do we care what these players are doing on the pro circuit as it relates to their college tennis results? How does the Ithaca 15K factor into how Cannon Kingsley has performed for Ohio State this season? Now, again, are the rankings more accurate if you incorporate that information? Is it worthwhile to have? What says Jay?
1: So that was really the reasoning behind the poll, yeah. right, of, you know, when we think about the evolution of these rankings, should we be incorporating other other factors of which utr is one of them where i stand is the primary purpose the only thing i really care about from these rankings is are we getting the best players into the ncaa individual fields and are they ranked you know fairly fairly correctly right what was this past spring we had was a blumber kingsley first round like that's not fun um well it's fun but like i'd rather see that as a as a, as a quarterfinal final. Um, that's really the number one reason. And I do fear that the more, if we continue this shift of, you know, players completely skipping the fall season, only playing in the spring, do they get ranked, you know, in the top 10 where they do belong? Like maybe, maybe not. Um, and that's certainly, you know, a, a concern for me. So I definitely think it's time to incorporate additional factors. I mean, the ITA has, these alliances with all of these, you know, other um, other schools, because I think at the end of the day, we want to reflect who the best players are who are playing college tennis.
0: Who had a better fall, Aaron Cayetano or Emma Navarro? Um, it's tough, right?
1: Well, so it, it's it's very tough. Um, I mean, I would go Cayetano. Um, because of the jump that she made right from spring to fall. Um, you know, so I, I'd lean there. but The
0: reason I ask is, do you diminish, or I'd suppose, do you diminish, yeah, what, you don't reward Aaron Cayetano for her fall, the majority of which came within the college tennis ranks, at the expense of, again, I suppose, taking away what Emma Navarro has done on the pro circuit. And... Look, obviously I'm a fan of incorporating as much data as possible. I think we've made that clear here at Crack Rackets. I would be fine with UTR being incorporated and dating back to the podcast we did with Coach Shachterly, the idea of some sort of, you know, consistent who are the top 10 players, top 5 players in by UTR just in college tennis period and, you know, how do we Get those, how do we reward those five players, whether before their pro results, college results throughout the course of the year? They're playing world team tennis that season. They're getting X number of wild cards into X number of pro results, some sort of sustained year-long ranking that is metric-based and incorporates all of their results, not just their college results. I think that's the way you integrate the sport with the various levels, and that is why I'm a fan of doing it. At the same time, it is college tennis. It's not – College plus plus pro tennis, right? These aren't the who's the best player in college tennis ranking. There's the these are the who's performed the best in college tennis this season rankings. And like I guess that I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I, I understand the argument, right? Like you reward yeah. um players in college i think one of the things that i was what i suggested on on twitter was well let's make it like a 12 month rolling ranking then Yes. right right let's incorporate like if someone takes the fall off that's not a it's not removing them completely from the rankings because to be honest when you look at a ranking that doesn't have either of the ncaa defending champions it doesn't have a liam draxel who's out there having success on tour and there's a lot of names you can you can list I think it undermines the rankings, and it makes them feel a little spineless, and brings up this question of like, what are these really for? Um, and I do think the ITA could get left behind a little bit for some of these other alternatives. Um, See, uh, if I don't, we don't think it's
0: them. I don't think it's spineless. I think it's purposeless.
1: I think spineless
0: is the wrong word. It's a better here. word. Yeah, I, it's a better I just word. think again. Okay, well, Rothenberg. If... <laughs> Thank you. You notice how he does that to me all the freaking time. time. I want to smack him in his face. (laughs) Okay, so Um, now you
1: know how it feels.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's the difference. But that's a better
1: word. Chris deserves it.
0: Chris and Matt need it. A fellow Michigan graduate does not need it from a Michigan graduate who graduated (laughs) 12 years before the dictionary was updated and your boy went through LSA. Anyways, (laughs) all of that said, I would agree with you. Rolling rankings is – a fantastic solution. Where it's just okay, those kids graduated, they drop out. Let's continue into the next year. I yep. very very much like that idea, Jay. And guess what? I will be stealing it on the rest of these uh coaching interviews moving forward because I think that's an excellent idea and I don't ask about the ITA rankings enough. So I'm going to incorporate that moving forward. But okay, with all of that said, There's your opening. We're rocking and rolling. It's time to continue our college contender series. And of course, this week, we reach the number five team in our preseason rankings, the University of Virginia. Now, that may surprise some of you. And I think today's podcast is going to be fun. All right, Jay, Virginia, number five on our list. When we last saw this team compete, it was at the NCAA tournament where they played, what was it, a five-hour marathon? with Georgia in a match, Georgia ends up escaping, and it really was an escape when you look at it, because this Virginia team, I mean, again, they were ACC battle-tested throughout the course of the year, and it just felt like you could feel that experience at the end as that match tightened up, and, you know, again, Jokic, Navarro, battling out there on court, and Liam Natasha Subash, battling out there on court, just battles Across the board in the end though, Georgia wins again a 4-1 match that was far closer than that scoreboard would indicate. That left a really positive taste in my mouth about this Virginia team, Jay. And I think coming into it why I love this team so much, and you can just look at the stats right away, Emma Navarro, 25 and 1 overall in the 2021 season. Natasha Subash, 17 and 7, but 15 and 5 at the number two singles position. They bring both of that back, both of those players back. And just looking back to Wake Forest of 2019, I've seen what a Gojo, Petros, give me one more. In that case, it was Botzer, and we'll figure out the rest can do. And it's just like coming off of last season, this team has those goods at the top of their lineup.
1: Yeah, I mean— absolutely right I mean you felt good about that match against Georgia you felt even better once Navarro won the NCAA singles title um but I mean arguably the best top two in the country right certainly can make a case just given how dominant you expect Navarro to be at number one um but it really was the story of last season in terms of their top three and their bottom three right those top three were about I believe 80 85 win percentage they were much closer to batting 500 at four five and six um, and so that was kind of their, their calculus. The problem was that they weren't strong in doubles. And so if you're not strong in doubles and you've got three single spots you're worried about, it's going to be tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a top three perspective this past season, um, they were super strong. That one-two punch of Navarro and Subash you know, can, can you know, battle with anybody.
0: Yeah, and I didn't mean to throw out the performance of Rosie Johansson last year, who goes sixteen and four in number three singles position, seventeen and four overall, was a sensational season. And again, last year the match calculus for this team: win one, win two, win three, pray like hell we find one more. And exactly. you look for this team overall on the year they go sixteen and seven. And you know, again, you look at the losses four two at Ohio State in the kickoff weekend. That was a hungry. Ohio State women's team that, by the way, saw the Virginia men beat the Ohio State men the day before. That match was super fun uh, dating back. And by the way, you referenced it earlier. I meant to bring it up. I will never forget the fact that Will Blumberg, when given a point penalty from McNally's match to Cannon Kingsley, looks at the line judge and goes – we're not doing that. He was just like, we're not. It's love, love. I'm not doing that. And that is so that that was a first round match. Just a random thought. I was going to stick with me and bother me. Listeners aren't surprised. Let's be honest. But again, getting back to this Virginia team, 4-2 at Ohio State. It's not a bad loss. 5-2 against North Carolina. Obviously not a bad loss. Then you look through the rest of their year, uh, Jay. 4-3 at Florida State. Loss. 4-3 at Miami. Loss. 4 3 at NC State loss. They then lost to number one North Carolina and number one Georgia, uh, and number three Georgia. So their losses were to either top three teams or 4 3 score lines or that one at Ohio State kickoff weekend. My point being, this team was really good last year.
1: Yeah. And they were really close, right? Even those yeah. 4 3 matches. I mean, NC state, Florida state, those were both quarter, you know, NCAA quarterfinal teams, yeah. um, NC state made the semis, right? So they were battle tested, like you mentioned in the ACC, which is just an incredibly tough conference last season. Um, and they, you felt like they were knocking on the door all season, even though they were losing those close matches, which is what you kind of felt in that Georgia match. You were like, Oh, they're kind of almost there. And so coming into this season, you feel like, well, they were almost there last season. They, they, Bring back five of their six returning singles. Um, you know, are, is is the recipe still there to kind of continue and build on what they did last season?
0: Yeah, it's again fascinating to look at this team because. We know what Navarro is, and obviously yep. Emma Navarro goes on to win the NCAA title as a freshman. She's won, what was it, the 60K, I want to say, her first 60K title. Uh, I know she won a pro title here this fall, but
1: obviously— Yeah, I had... got the numbers for you. She okay. won the 25K um, that's quarterfinals um, of— Uh, the 125k and three quarterfinals of 60ks
0: yeah and of course had some success at at charleston as well we'll always have those charleston wild cards in her back pocket and by the way that's not criticism that's just a statement of fact that wasn't meant to be a dig i want to be clear it's just like will emma navarro turn pro is obviously a discussion we have to have here today um but i mean Twenty-five and one is as good of a freshman campaign as you can expect, and obviously she delivered the goods. Do you know who the one loss was to? Of
1: course, yeah. who she who she avenged the loss to in the NCAA finals. Three sets. So it's almost like twenty-five yeah. and one, but I beat you in the NCAA finals.
0: Exactly, and just again, her forehand, the weapons, the craft, the way she worked the point. Evan Navarro was so excellent. Her freshman campaign you just wonder with another year back under her belt can she be that good again like it's almost again damn near impossible to duplicate that sort of success you would think even if she goes 18 and 3 this year like that's an outstanding season once again even if there is a little regression from her at the top that said i do think natasha subash i'm not saying she underperformed last year but there's a world where she could have gone 20 and 0 like i i think natasha subash is that talented and it dates back to you know i saw her as a freshman at the national indoors playing the number 1 singles position and Look, she was as good as anyone in the field that weekend. And you look for her last year, you know, the losses, three sets to Arena Contos and, you know, straight sets in the number number, uh, number 121, Kenna Petskaya uh, over at Syracuse, straight sets to Meeple Chi, straight sets Georgia Drummy, three sets Leah Ma, three sets Alexa Graham. That's a top, that's a top 25 player, Jay. And it's just like, they have two top 25 players, again, in their top two and I I mentioned the records already, but I'll just repeat them again for you combined at those number one and two singles positions last year, Navarro and Subash go 34 and six. Can they do that again this year? And and my answer to that question is I think, yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I feel pretty confident about that, right? I mean, I I was trying to kind of go into the deep recesses of my memory and try and recall a player. I mean, Navarro was ranked what two thirty in the world. Um, I don't think we've seen that level of success in the collegiate ranks, um, in a while. Um, and, and Subashi, she, you know, she had an injury this summer, so probably not as strong of a fall as she's used to having, although she was the winningest player on the UVA team this fall at 10 and five, um, but no reason not to believe that she doesn't have the exact same record at number two, if not better, um, as she continues to, to, to improve in college. So. It's a strong one two punch. Uh, the answers are what comes next.
0: Yeah. And you look at the losses for Natasha Subash two and three to Daria Freeman. Not a bad loss. Three and six uh, to Levishova of UCF. That's one she'd like back, but certainly not a bad loss. She loses five and five to Diana Ackley. Again, that's a toss up. Six and five to Riley Tran. You'd like to see her win that match, but still a good performance there. And then, you know, beats Kylie Collins before bowing out and beats Vicky Hu before a two and three loss to Yepafanova. I think she's on course, as you mentioned, coming off of injury, certainly getting better. Emma Navarro, you mentioned the fall results on the Pro Tour, only played one singles match in uh, at the college ranks this fall and obviously earns a victory in her one match uh, that she does play over Old Dominion's startup Seva. And again, if that's any indication— does feel like – let's let's do this quickly as we look at the returning roster and the rest of this team because I think we've fairly established the top two, and obviously yep. there are plenty of others who contributed to last year's success. But the question, does Emma Navarro come back, I think all signs point to yes, and I'm going to have Coach Sarah O'Leary on the podcast on Monday. So it, this will be released simultaneously is what I'm going to say to her interview. I haven't done it yet, but I just – I feel like the, the answer is a pretty unequivocal Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, all all signs point to yes. I mean, she was enrolled in the fall, right? She did play a match, both in singles and doubles. Um, and know, she'll go
0: play Charleston. She can
1: go and, do that during the year. Exactly. It didn't stop her last season. It won't stop her this season. Um, I would say the only thing that is potentially, say, hey, maybe go pro is, are they going to get a team title this year?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, but I mean, it's mid December right? She'll play the season, probably hope to win the NCAAs again, and that's your launching pad for going pro.
0: Yeah, well said. So again, that's the top two coming back, and that is why I think fundamentally we have this team at number five. When you just look back, it's that, again, the known quantity at the top of your lineup. If you get a healthy Navarro and Subash throughout the course of the season, you're just up respectfully 2-0 on Notre Dame you're up respectfully 2-0 on Syracuse 2-0 on all of these teams that just get you at a minimum in you know into the top 16 hosting yeah. Navarro you know.
1: probably doesn't play those matches yeah well exactly <laughs> that's the funny part
0: but if but, but the point is if she needs to she's there and yeah if she needs to then it's probably how well did I do at Charleston Ooh, sorry I'm gonna go to the <laughs> French Open I'm not gonna be there um but yeah it's so getting to the rest
1: of the roster now. Before we do that, though. ooh, I like it. I had some fun with uh, the Stanford UNC data when we did the Stanford pod. I've got some fun ones for you on trivia NCAA. So I got some trivia for you. Yeah. I'm going to dub this the, the Gruskin trivia pod because what was striking to me in, in writing the article for UVA was just the, the success they've had on the individual side. Right. They've now won three NCAA singles titles, Danielle Collins, 2014, 2016, and now Emma Navarro. The team success hasn't been there. And so I have some I have some fun, I have some data points for you.
0: The reason you paused there, I made a face. Go on.
1: <laughs> Always making these faces. Okay. Um, all right. So there have been nine teams that have won NCAA team titles. I won't make you recite them all because I think you can, but I'll ask you this. There are only two of those teams that have not won a NCAA singles titles. Which schools are they?
0: Teams that have won a women's team title, but not a women's singles title. Well, Duke, I know won that one that same year that they won the team title. So it's not them. Mallory
1: Cecil, the the last freshman before Navarro to win the NCAA singles title. See, we think the same way.
0: I can do it the reverse. Like I know Miami's yet to win the team, so like they've won the singles. Um all right. Am I? You're making a face like maybe remember that thought. Okay. Are they recent <laughs> champions or past? Re- champions?
1: Relatively recent champions. Okay,
0: that's what I like to hear.
1: In the grass era, I will say. Okay,
0: so North Carolina again. All right. Uh, no, UCLA's done it. Vanderbilt.
1: Vanderbilt's won.
0: Okay. No. No. Won. Yeah. No singles title. Okay. Florida, one thousand percent, has won singles titles. Um who's been good of late and would have stolen an NCAA title stolen being not the kind word there, but would have taken an NCAA title while yet to have won a singles title, Texas.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So those are your two teams that have uh, won a team title, but no singles title. Um, 15 of the 39 team titles. They've also won the uh, singles title that same year. Fun fact.
0: I like that. Um, Usually having the best player helps.
1: Yes. Okay. So here's where the the Virginia tie-in comes. So Virginia has won three three singles titles, two, we'll call them unique winners, right, in Danielle Collins and uh, Emma Navarro. There are six other schools who have won a two-plus NCAA singles titles. All of those schools have made at least two NCAA team finals. Virginia has only made two quarterfinals.
0: That is fascinating. And I was looking back as well, and I may be a year or two off here, but I believe they've made round of 16 or better in seven of the last nine seasons. However, you look through those seven of the last nine, and you're right. It's like 2011 when this run started, 4-1 loss to UCLA. 2012, 4 1 loss to Duke. 2013, 5 0 loss to Virginia. Now, the times they've come closest, you know, they played Stanford 4 2. They played Vanderbilt 4 2. Those two teams, I believe, went on to win titles. 4 3. Baylor lost round of 16, 2015 was a very good team. And that was a team uh, that I believe, uh, you know, that's the Waco team where the men ended up winning that year in Baylor. And that it felt like there's, I think that's Julia Albaba uh, on that team and Danielle Collins. And that felt like with that top two, that they left a little meat on the bone there, that that was a team that could have gone a little bit further. That's probably the parallel for this team. Like, you feel about – who do you feel better about dating back historically? The duo of Elbaba Con- Collins or Subash Navarro? Like, I feel pretty good about both.
1: Yeah, I I'd say, I say mean, those are pretty equal pair. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure Elbaba also was number one.
0: Yeah, in if anything, you might maybe
1: lean the previous one. Like, that's the thing, top twos. The thing about Collins is she was not as good during the regular season. Sure. Um, and she also struggled indoors much more than she did out – um, but yes, yeah, so I thought that was a really interesting, um, That's great stack because I'm so jealous. I used to do Gruskin's st- I used to do that
0: and just the Gruskin's trivia. And that was back when go. I gave effort in these podcasts. <laughs> so shout out to you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a team that's really come on the national scene since 2011, right? That was the first round of 16. They've been at a mainstay other than the dip that you talked about 2017 through 2019, those, those three years there, which is kind of what, what brought in, um, coach O'Leary. And so they've only been on the scene for about a decade they've had tremendous individual success uh right they're up there with they're tied for georgia right for Mm -hmm. for singles titles uh but haven't yet been able to parlay that into the team success and so you wonder you know when does when does that start to come as i mentioned kind of the company that they keep from an ncaa singles title it's all making ncaa finals so um you know Interesting stats. It's, it's it's interesting to me to see if uh, UVA can start to parlay this either in continued uh, recruiting pipeline to get there eventually or do it with Navarro and Subash.
0: Well, this is what's so fascinating about this team because I agree. I think we, they have established themselves as a top 16 program. You expect yep. to see them hosting an NCAA regional. They have exceptional players. The question, obviously, what separates the good from the great? And the answer is always depth. And that's yep. what makes... Looking at this Virginia team so fascinating, and we'll get to the recruiting in a second. We'll talk about the freshmen, but first let's start with the returners this team brings back. There are three of them. You look at Sofia Munera last season, eight and seven in dual matches, four and zero at the number five singles position. But of course, those seem to be the matches where you wouldn't have a Navarro, you wouldn't have a Suba. She goes, you know, one and four at five, two and three at the number six singles position. She's a player though, highly recruited. Highly touted, ready to make a jump. Amber Odell, you look for her last season nine and four at the number six singles position. That's a little, that's a low hanging fruit, Jay. That's something to keep an eye on, and I'm sure we'll yep. talk about it momentarily. Of course, the last one, about, uh, Shake, who you look overall nine and nine in dual matches, seven and nine at the number four singles position. But again, you know playing in that position similarly. This season, you take the lumps. Last year, she comes close in a lot of matches throughout the course of the year. Let's start with those returners before we address the newcomers. I mean, that's the... They really... When you're looking at the construct of this roster, and I'm not trying to minimize how great it would be to have depth, but like why we... I think we have this team so high. And thank God, doing this podcast is a reminder to me of why we have this team so high. So this is why I always enjoy these exercises. They really only need one of the returners to pop, one of the freshmen to pop, and then you see a match calculus. And so I'm curious, when you look at these returners, who stands out to you? Who's most likely to pop?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And when we talk about the the kind of the new additions, we'll talk about what that match calculus looks like. Um, and that's why I think we were high on this team because, you know, you bring back those three returners, um, you know, uh, both Munera and Odell have have been around for a few years now um hibas is entering her sophomore season um but obviously she got to play a lot and took some lumps last season i think what's tough is it was a disappointing fall uh it was a disappointing fall for kind of the the team overall kind of went 500 across the board uh and it was disappointing for both um for all three of those players i mean Munera i think was out a little bit with injuries she played only two singles matches and you look at um Hiba and uh, Odell's success, and they went about 500 throughout the fall with, with nothing that notable. I think we were looking for who of this is kind of going to pop, who's going to make a jump this fall to say that, hey, look, we got a great top of the lineup and I'm ready to battle here at the bottom. It's not clear to me who who will do that. I would say... If anyone, in terms of the upside, I think you have to go with the sophomore, um, just because she's been in the program for only a year, you know, looked to try to make that sophomore jump, took a lot of losses last season and this fall versus Odell and Munera, who you probably know kind of where their level is at. Um, it's probably unlikely to see a big jump from them necessarily. Um, so I would say, you know, you have to look to the sophomore for her jump.
0: I will say this, for Shake, uh, I think four for five losses, or five of the six, uh, five of the six, excuse me, came in three sets. Or excuse me, four of the six came in three sets. And again, you're looking at the schedule, a lot of tough matches on that run. Again, Matches you got to win at five and six singles, but you're right. It was a tough fall for each of these players. There's no denying that. You would have loved to see just like a... An eight and four record from Amber Odell. She goes okay. four and five overall. You will have you know one and one from Munera, who it's tough to say because we just didn't see that much of her this fall. But you know I do think. You look for Amber O'Dell last season and just the experience she got playing at that number six singles position, and again, it's tough when you're playing the NC States of the world who, you know, she drops, I think, uh, two matches to, you know, to Ren Shelley and to Kerber respectively, and, you know, for her, the losses against, uh, you know, whether it's Riley Tran, whether it's Fiona Crawley, when you're matching up a couple of times with North Carolina, it's... It's not your standard number six single season. That said, you know, again, she beats Billiken three sets last year. That's a really nice win to beat Hannah Zhao Duke last year three sets at the start of the season. And just you look, there are breadcrumbs. Now, she struggled down the home stretch, but you would love to see a bounce back from Odell. I just think there were a lot of good repetitions for her last season. But, yeah, it's, you know, again, I really think you need one of them to pop for this team to reach the goals that they have. And of course, if one of them don't, they'll turn to the newcomers and there are a bunch of the newcomers. And I do think this is where things get particularly interesting for this team, because you look for coach O'Leary, number 18 recruiting class in 2019, number four recruiting class in 2020. Obviously that class Navarro shake, you feel pretty good about getting two blue chips. 2021, 2021, Number six recruiting class. They bring in Elay Chervinsky. They bring a uh, blue chip recruit. They bring in five star Nicole Kiefer. They bring in Melody Collard of Canada as well. And then, last but certainly not least, they bring in a transfer uh, in the name of I am blanking out here. Who it is from Baylor? They're bringing Sarah in,
1: Ziodato. Yes,
0: thank you, Sarah Ziodato. Talk to me about the newcomers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this in the article. If there's one thing uh, Coach O'Leary does well, it's recruit. I'm sure she does many things well, but <laughs> one thing she definitely does do well is recruit. Um, although, I, you know, you should ask her about the pipeline, and we haven't gotten as many signees for these upcoming classes. But, um, I mean, this was another reason I think we were so high on this class. Um, Chervinsky, you know, joins the program as a top five recruit, you know, in 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 the U.S., Um, some really good wins prior to joining the Cavaliers. She had beaten Alvina Kalieva and Yepifanova earlier this spring. Um, So I think, you know, expectations were were pretty high for her as well. Um, Melody Collard of of Canada comes in as she's number 17 in the world and ITF junior rankings Um, hasn't played as much since she hit that high in early 2020. So didn't know kind of what to expect kind of where her level was at when she would join in the fall. Um, but those are kind of the, the, the two headliners, Nicole Kiefer, you mentioned comes in as, as a five-star. Um, and then the last is the Baylor transfer, um, who didn't play much at Baylor didn't play a ton in the fall. Um, I'm not sure we'll see her in, in the singles lineup, um, at least to start the year, but certainly the two freshmen, um, I think everyone was, was really high on, um, and you know, we can talk about kind of whether or not they delivered through this fall and what we can expect to them in the spring.
0: Yeah, you look for Travinsky, nine and seven overall, but again, who are the losses to? Alana Smith, Chloe Beck, Kari Miller, and Natasha Subash, Daria Fraserman, Tassapor, Naklow. Yep. That is as tough a strength of schedule as you can see as a freshman in the fall. And look, yep. we can speak candidly as we get into possible lineups here and talking, you know, what's the match calculus for this team? On paper, with the fall results, that's your number three singles player right now. It's looking like it's going to be Elaine Chervinsky. And can she duplicate the performance of last season of uh, Johansson? That's the question for this team, no doubt about that. And that's a tough ask for any freshman to go 16-4 and or whatever that record was for Johansson. But, you know, again, you're looking elsewhere – you feel like you have a top four, right? You know Navarro. You know Subash. You probably go Travinsky and Shake after that. Yep. The question is, again, five and six singles. And you're right. Collard, five and eight overall this fall. Kiefer, five and seven overall. Ziodato, five and four. And you look for this team, 46 and 43 overall in singles in the fall. You're right. And I'm sure I will talk to Coach Allier and I'll ask her that. Looking at the bottom of your lineup, you need someone to pop. How are those records not indicative of the progress that's been made? I'm telling you right now, that's exactly how I'm going to frame it. Um, But are there answers? Are there depth? What's the UTR look like, Jay? Give me the numbers.
1: Yeah, well, before diving into the numbers, I mean, I think as I was thinking about this team a few months ago, I thought you kind of divided it between you had Navarro and Subosh, you had Chervinsky and Collard, and then you had kind of a a strong bench of of characters. Exactly, who could play five and six. And you start to feel a lot better if you move shake from four to five, Mm -hmm. right? And you feel like there's healthy competition for six. You got your, you got experienced players down there. That's, that's a recipe. Um, I think the disappointing fall results, both from your returners and Melody Collard started to kind of unravel that equation a little bit. Um, Just a pretty disappointing fall from Collard. Um, I mean, at, at one point, I think she lost six straight in a row um so you know you wonder is that just adjusting to college right and hey this is someone who clearly has the talent has the skills and just needs to kind of be more comfortable in this environment that could very well be possible um so when you talked about potential lineups i had that exact order if you had that top three navarro Supash, travinsky you keep shake at four collard at five and then you you know odell at six there's probably a world where collard does move up to four um, if she's able to kind of establish herself there, so. Uh, but well, taking... it's so
0: fascinating with that lineup thought in mind. As I let you pull up the numbers, because I'm curious yep. what the UTR say. But you're looking at the schedule for this Virginia team, and I think we referenced it with team number seven. Obviously, kickoff weekend they play James it. Madison first. You probably pencil that one in as a win. Yep. But then right away, much like last year with Ohio State, this team's going to get Stanford. And yep. I'll tell you what. Yepafanova, who I believe has already beaten Subash this year, like yeah, that's a fact, but when you get in that dual match setting, who do you wanna have Navarro Subash, you know Gordon ma Yepafanova, ugh, that's gonna be some good tennis, Jay. Uh, but you feel like opening weekend, you kind of like Virginia more in that match then than you would in May. And so Kenan Odell sneak one from, you know, one of the talented freshmen on the Stanford roster, or from a Sarah Choi or from whomever's playing that number six singles position? Right away, this team gets tested. That's why this isn't, I suppose, a hot take, but just a take. It's not going to surprise me at all if Travinsky's at number four to start the year. If we see it's a top three of, you know, all the returners, you throw Shake at number three to start, you, you play Travinsky at four or five if you can, if it doesn't get protested. And I was just...
1: going to say, I, it's going to be tough not to get contested with Travinsky anywhere but three, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Have we
0: seen enough from, like, what was Shake This You look for her here in the fall. She was, what, six and six? I mean, Travinsky nine and seven. I already said who the losses were too, but, like, yeah.
1: All I ITA top 50. You
0: can probably pull it off. I mean, eh, you're right. You're not <laughs> yeah.
1: wrong.
0: Well, I mean, Navarro's unranked. Player at five.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I was the one who called Virginia over Stanford. I do think a big factor in that match is the fact that it's indoors. Yeah. I think that and, massively, and in Charlottesville. And in Charlottesville, right? But, like, even I mean, alone, right? This is a Stanford team. It's made up of almost all Californians and Floridians. Sure. Not a lot of indoor experience. But even then, you look at the play style of a lot of those Stanford players. You look at Connie Ma, you look at Gordon, you look at uh, Valencia Shu, These are not players who necessarily would excel indoors. Um, so I think it definitely favors uh, favors Virginia. Um, I will say the one bright spot of the fall for the Cavaliers was a, a new doubles pairing for them, which was Shake and Collard, who I believe went 11-4, and four made the finals of potentially maybe the the toughest uh, ITA regional and they lost to the uh, ODU team. Uh, and then they made the constellation final at the national championship. So you feel really good about that. This is a team that wasn't strong in doubles last year. So you found a new team there. You have Muner and Subash who didn't play much this season, but they made the NCAA quarterfinals last year. Maybe you have them at three. they were at and two last have- year. And Navarro Navarro and anyone. Yeah, I mean, Navarro and anyone. um, Navarro played one doubles match, and it was a win over the ODU doubles team. So Navarro and anyone, you feel pretty good, especially if it's Stravinsky, right, who seems to be be adapting well. So maybe an improvement in doubles there. But um, in terms of the UTR, so they're third right now in the ACC behind UNC and Duke. Uh, They're a 63.57 power six UTR um i mean emma navarro is almost a full point <laughs> above natasha subash um you know navarro is at 11.71 subash 10.8 Travinsky 10.59 collard 10.4 Ziodato 10.01 shake 10 um so i think the big thing i mean we've talked about this right you look at like a compare that to a unc Rather than having three players above a 10-5, they have six players above a 10-5. Um, so it really kind of comes down to that depth. Um, but I mentioned UVA, 63-5-7, Duke, 64-1-3. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about a half a point across. Um Whoa.
0: It's so interesting to hear you talk again hearing those UTRs, not shocking. And again, it's a top-heavy lineup, and that top-heavy group is what keeps them above the rest of the ACC. Although, keep yep. an eye on NC State. Obviously, I think that number is going to continue to rise for them. I also think—you mentioned it there brilliantly when you're starting to talk match calculus for this team. If they can get doubles points, yeah, boy, does life become easier yes. for this Virginia Cavalier squad. And you're right. All of the ingredients are there because, as you mentioned— and are the duo of Shake and Collard, and that doesn't include uh, Subash. That doesn't include Navarro. That just means you've got depth now in doubles. You have a couple of different options to turn to. And, again, if they're up 1-0, then you just need one other player to really (laughs) pop. I'm not saying all of this pressure is against Navarro and Subash, but I'm saying in the round of 16, in the quarterfinals, you can count on those two to show up. And I'm not saying they're guaranteed wins, but if you can get doubles, you know, again, and you feel pretty good about your top two. The, what that does for the rest of the team is it just gives you confidence. And yep. the difference being if double struggles, now you really need two to pop. And that's what this question comes down to. And as we make our predictions about this team, as we look, you know, how they can do in the conference, how they can do in the schedule, Jay, it really comes down to a belief, in my opinion do one of, you know, Munera, Odell, Shake, click this year? Because I think inevitably one of the newcomers will contribute. I think whether it's at a five, a six, a three, a four, whatever it is, you're gonna get one of them to work. Y'all you know, for a program like this to bring in back to back top ten recruits, I think uh, classes, I think they're gonna get that. Can they get one of their returners on the level to where again you're winning sixty percent of your five singles matches, sixty percent of your six singles matches? That's the difference between this team making an NCAA round of sixteen and this team putting a legitimate scare. And having a chance at the semifinals,
1: yeah, I would say they need Collard to pop as well. Sure. Um, you know, just because you look at what what's the upside. Um, there's always going to be more upside for these incoming freshmen. Um, if you do that, you pr- feel pretty good about your top five, um, and that's doubles plus top five. And you need someone to 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 click at six. Um, so that's that's for me. I, I think she's kind of the the link between that top three and the bottom three that gives them the, the, the ability to move down a shake to five um, that could really cement this team as, as a very dangerous team. Um, but, but I agree with you. Um, and just because I, you know, it's easier to bet on someone that you haven't seen that much of uh, to say, Hey, I think they're going to pop versus some of these, you know, Munera or Odell who have been around the program for, for many years um, to kind of think that they're going to, make a big jump in their final season uh you know i think it's easier to bet on bet on the freshman
0: yeah, so with that said, give me the predictions. Where do you think this Virginia team ends up? We have them preseason number five. You look, yeah. again, at the conference schedule. And by the way, just to lay out the schedule beyond the Stanford uh, matches. Obviously, they've got their full ACC front. I believe they're playing a couple of matches before kickoff. Yeah, going to be fun to watch them take on Old Dominion that weekend before the kickoff weekend just because that Old Dominion team is scrappy. Um, yeah. But again, give me your predictions. Where does this team end up?
1: Well, you should ask Coach O'Leary if this schedule is fully fleshed out, um, because I was a little surprised at the lack of non-conference Power Five opponents they have on the schedule right now. I'm
0: sure there are more.
1: Good. Um, uh, So, I think this season looks pretty similar to last season, and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, you look at the program that Coach O'Leary inherited, 2017 was the first year since 2011 they hadn't made— you know, the NCAA tournament, she's back to having them make Sweet Sixteens. Um, this is a program that, that's back on the national stage, which is great. Uh, look, I, I I called Virginia over Stanford at the, at the, at the kickoff, so I have to say by that. Um, I think it's probably a rough uh, ITA indoors for the team uh, if they do, in fact, make it. Um, I think they finish semifinals of the ACC tournament. Um, I think UNC is is the clear cut above the rest of the ACC this year, um, and so they'll be battling for second or third, maybe fourth uh, if things don't go their way. Um, and I'm not sure this team makes the the quarterfinal. I know we have them as five, um, but I think there's a lot of depth right now in college tennis. A lot of teams that I think feel really confident. Sure, you know you will get we'll we'll give you Navarro and Subash, but we're going to kind of sweep you at the bottom of the lineup. So, um, I have them in the round of 16.
0: Look, we said this at the top, and I'm curious, I'll ask this final question for you. Would you rather have the top three of Chen, Drummy, and Back, or the top two of Navarro and Subash? Um...
1: <laughs>
0: right? Because that, that's this question here. I just, I like that top two more yeah. than I like any top two in the country. I'll say it like I if you haven't is if it hasn't been clear that is my feelings about this group and that is how I cajoled you into having them this high on the list and you know again I I've picked Stanford to win the NCAA title I believe already on this podcast and finals
1: unless Um, unless oh did I say finals oh thank God I
0: said finals (laughs) shout out to me um I was like did I I don't even remember these predictions at this point I believe though what I left Georgia round of sixteen. And, uh, pull yeah, he'll pulled up the predictions. Point being on this Virginia team, as good as that top two is, I actually think this team's gonna be better in May than they are in January. I think you give the freshmen some time to acclimate. You find out what three doubles teams are the right three doubles teams because all the ingredients are there for double success this season. And you've got the recipe of a team that can absolutely make the quarterfinal round. Now again, the problem with that and getting beyond that is is the depth for some of those top teams, Stanford, ones we haven't named yet but will be counted down later, it's unequivocal. You know what you're getting at four. You know what you're getting at five. You know what you're getting at six. And even if it's unknown, the options in those positions are extraordinarily talented and thus far better pedigrees, better fall than this team, Virginia. But I'm telling you, I watched – I just will never forget that 2019 Wake Forest team. That, to me, was a case study of what you can do when you have two of the top ten players in the country who are just like, don't worry, one of you get on our backs and we'll find our way to four in every match. And I just think this top two can be that good, and that's why it's hard to discount this team. Where am I at from a prediction standpoint?
1: So you have uh, your two round of 16s are UGA and Duke. Okay. Your two quarterfinals are Ohio State, Texas A&M. And then Stanford in the final.
0: Man, I swerved on Duke. I thought I went Duke quarterfinal in Virginia or in Georgia round of sixteen. God. This is hard, man. It's hard. I want to leave a spot for the unknown soldier, too. That's the other issue. It's like who is that one team that's gonna pop this year? The last year things went pretty much to script. Sans, I guess Duke making that run. Uh I'll go quarterfinals. I'll just stick with our top 10 for a reason. Sorry, I
1: mean, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking me into it, right? Because there's a world where Navarro and Subash get them three points, yeah. right? With doubles. Um, you and know, then you they're just need one together. more, right? right? Just one more. Yeah. And that's going to be Travinsky at six. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> yeah. Lock it in. Yeah. If that's the option, quarterfinal, <laughs> I'm in. But no, it's just also a testament, again, the ACC, the battle test. And here's the thing Emma Navarro is not coming back to finish second. That's the other like big thing for me is I just yeah. think that there will be a match where she just goes we're dra-, you know again I'm winning doubles I'm winning singles I just need two of you to to be there with me right. um, and I just I think she is that good and yeah. so yeah I say yeah. quarterfinals
1: for yeah this it's it's hard to bet it against a team that has the best player in college tennis
0: yeah exactly would you give me the number fifteen of the thirty nine.
1: Fifteen of the thirty-nine. You think it's sixteen of forty next year? Yeah. Well, no, because they're, they're not the champion. But
0: yeah, no. I think the answer yeah. is no. I think it's <laughs> no. fifteen of forty uh, next year. But with that said, again, this Virginia team is going to be super, super successful, and I do think they're going to be in the mix for a conference title if they shocked a Virginia, uh, a UNC at home. You know, and I'm looking right now. They play North Carolina this year at North Carolina. Yeah, that's at a way. Duke. That's yeah. tricky. Um, If one of those matches were at home, I could see them beating one of them this year where they just have that match where it clicks. If they played North Carolina at home, I would take them. That said, quarterfinals, I'll say they make a conference – I don't know. They'll be in the mix right there with Duke. Whoever wins that dual match, that will be a fun one. But that is our preseason perspective on the number 5 Virginia Cavaliers, of course, with all of that said. One last thing for us to do here, Jay. And that is here your number five men's team as well. I'm going to actually have to look back. No, I know who our number five men's team is, but I'm curious. Give me your number five.
1: So my number five is Ohio State.
0: Us as well. We're okay. in the same. Give me your reasoning.
1: <laughs> well, that's because I convinced you last week. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> um, so Ohio State is an interesting case study. In man, they had a really good fall. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, they have the two best doubles teams in the country. By ITA rank, right? So Ohio, Ohio State doubles his back. Um, you know, JJ Tracy is going to be a lock at six. Uh, <laughs> um, but so uh, Kingsley, you're joking?
0: But it's like it's serious though. It's like don't worry, Anthrop's going to be playing
1: four. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, so you you look at top twos, right? Kingsley and Votsel, Um That's that's a really good top two. There's a world where trotter van emberg i mean they're playing at five six um so this is ohio state team that has you know really good guys at every single position you really like the depth this year um, I think this is a team that's going to have a big chip on their shoulder from last season, kind of being insulated from, you know, non-conference competition. You know, we weren't ranked as high as we should have been right. All of that good stuff, which they'll just use as bulletin board material. Um, I think they feel like people are sleeping on them. Um, so, you know, Bucks are back um, field in a really strong roster Um they're going to be really dangerous. I think just that doubles, you know, it's such a crapshoot doubles is, but to feel really confident that you're going to take the dubs point. Look, all of these teams are so good. Trying to bank on four singles wins, probably not a winning situation. So you got to feel good about the Bucks and one of their top two. And then they find two more points probably towards the bottom of the lineup. It's going to be a good Bucks season.
0: I have no idea what to do with the top five men's teams. Like, none at all. Top six. It's just like Ohio State had a perfect fall, and they added more talent in the process. And it's just like, yeah. You can legitimately get away with not playing Cannon at one now. That's how good Votzel was this fall. By the way, 7-6 in the third when they played on the pro circuit. So that's not even Ty Tucker minutia. That's just a legitimate argument. And then, of course, like – Was Van Emberg that good this fall? Probably. He was, like, the guy you probably think should be playing six given the fall results, and yet, like, he's going to be – like that Trotter, Tracy, Anthrop, Cash, all these freaking answers. They just have answers to any question you want to ask, and then to your point, you're right. It's just like, oh, and the doubles is back. Like, we're back. And so they are freaking – we are now in the – these teams can win national championships. It's just, like, good luck making predictions.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kingsley will be at, what, three doubles? Yeah, so if you, maybe, if you good, like, maybe. Or
0: or just not playing doubles. Like, that's, you yeah. never know with Coach Tucker.
1: Right. So, I mean, this is, I almost had them above the team I had at four, another team just based on fall results. And out of respect for that team and kind of the, the season that some of these uh, other teams had last season, I, I kept them above. I felt like this was as high as I could kind of put Ohio State. But, Yeah, this is the dangerous I will
0: say this. Texas is the swing school because everything broke right for them last season. Everything. And the question is can you replicate that sort of 4-3 success in another year? And obviously they bring in all this new talent as well, and it's just like from here, good luck. Good freaking luck. And, like, that's why they pay us the average size bucks because that's the entertaining things we're going to have to do here over the next couple of weeks. But, again, this is where the fun starts. Top five schools. If you've missed any of our top 10 countdown, you can catch up on all of them in our college contender series on the website, crack Of course, you can hear from the majority of these head coaches as well over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can hear from all of the power five men's and women's coaches on that feed as well. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShoutPod. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the... F- of an amazing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible with that said jay any final thoughts before we wrap today's show
1: this gets more difficult from here
0: uh now the fun really starts and so with that said for my fantastic co-host john parsons our super producer fleeter and Westoff, our friends at tennis point and from all this year at both cracked rackets and the Tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell the people
1: hey great shot And we will
0: see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.